Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap on the Thunder Nuggets game. Just the big takeaways from that one and some really cool moments from the night. To top things off, I'm going to be giving you all a very good deal from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But guys, if you did not already know, I posted this to my Twitter uh, the day of, which was Thursday night, but I was actually in attendance for this game. Not only that, but I was in the media section. First time I've been able to do that. It was a very, very cool experience, and it would not have happened without all the continuous support I have received from you guys. And it comes from the podcast side of things, of course, here, and also all the positivity from the website side of things on BricktownBeat.com. So thank you all for that. I've been doing podcasting and articles for about a year now, so getting the green light to go was just amazing. The moment I found out, I was freaking out, and yeah, it was a really cool experience, and because of it, not only is there the normal game recap here, but also there's a lot of stuff from the courtside view that you kind of pick up on that maybe from Bally Sports or just your normal television screen you would not see, so I'll give some insights there, but just kicking things off, obviously to set the stage here, you had the Thunder who just came off a win at the Paycom on Wednesday. For the Nuggets, they had Jokic, they had pretty much everybody out there, but for this one, you kind of just had depleted teams on both sides. You didn't have SGA, you didn't have Lou Dort, Darius Basie was nowhere to be found, Derek Favors, he was rested after one performance. And then on the Nuggets side of things, they also really were just watered down. They didn't have Jamal Murray because he is still uh, still dealing with the ACL injury, of course. But you had Jokic out with left ankle soreness. Michael Porter Jr. was also out for knee soreness. And then Monte Morris, he's dealing with some management for his left patellar tendon. So more or less, this was a game where you just got to see from all angles, the bench, you got to see a lot of youth from the Thunder side for the Nuggets. They had a lot of youth as well. Uh, They were looking to kind of prep and sturdy up their bench rotation, which is pretty big because they are looking to contend just as they were last season. But the big deal from this one was just how crazy the starting lineups were for everybody. So you set the table here and you got a rotation where, you know, obviously there's your normal guys. Josh Giddy was in the starting unit. That's how it's been the entire time. Trey Mann, he got a starting nod after starting off the bench. Teo, he got to be in the starting unit. Obviously, he led the team in starts last season, led the team in minutes uh, because of SGA's injury, Hill's injury, just everything going on right there. But you get that three-headed monster with the guards, but then you start splicing in some new faces. Mike Muscala at the five. Third different, actually fourth different time, I believe, we've seen someone new in that center spot. You had Roby, then you started to see Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Derek Favors was there, and now Moose has taken hold of things. But the biggest surprise, and it's not really a surprise, Aaron Wiggins got to start in this game. You didn't have four out of those five typical starters for you because Baze is gone. Giddy's the only kind of remaining uh, founder, I guess you could say, for the preseason team. So I thought the nod was definitely justified. Get some more minutes for him because he was insane in the closing minutes of that Denver game. Had that beautiful chase down block. And then also the debut where he dropped 12 points in about seven minutes. 
So he has been scary. So I think Dagnall really giving him the promotion was justified. And then for the Nuggets side, it wasn't really like they were throwing out every single person of youth. You had Bull Bull as a starter. That was about it. Zeke Nanaji, he was a first round selection for them, I believe. And then you have guys like Austin Rivers, Campazzo was there, and then Will Barton. And I'd say Barton is kind of that guy that I would see on the day-to-day in a starting unit. As for the other guys, not really. So you had other people. Nashawn Bones Highland, this is someone that is very fun to watch. And then for the Thunder side, you didn't have Poku starting to begin the game. Um, obviously, he got some reps as the game went on, though. So to start out this first frame, I'm just going to be honest. When you're sitting down there, you're not always typing the notes. You're kind of just mesmerized, and you're just in the game. You're just saying, wow, this guy is tall. This play is ridiculous. Just really cool stuff. Um, and everybody, whether it was on the Thunder side or the Nuggets side, they were performing. Both sides were shooting very effectively from the floor. For the Nuggets, they shot a clean 50% through the first quarter. And then for the Thunder, they shot 46%. However, from three, they were not missing. They shot seven of 13. I believe that's the same split they shot in the Milwaukee game for the first 12 minutes. And for the Nuggets, I mean, they shot well too. They shot 40% from there, but they shot six of 15. And one of the biggest things that I made sure to jot down, I think through 16 shots for the Thunder, 10 of them had come from three. So every single person out there was looking to just snipe down some shots from distance. Ty Jerome went two of two in this frame. Teo, he tried twice, hit one. Trey Mann, he had a step back to get on the board early. This is a move that Trey Mann was known for with the Florida Gators. He needed to bring that over. Hadn't seen it all that often until now. It was good to see him kind of take that lid off in like the first minute of the game. Mike Muscala, you know, when you're setting those high ball screens, oftentimes they're not going to really care. They're going to sag off. They're going to give you those shots. Bull Bull, Zeke Nanaji, whoever it was, they didn't care. He went one of three there. And then Wiggins, he shot twice at one. Josh Giddy got on the board with a three as well. So just a lot of shots going around for everybody in the frame, which was pretty damn major. You know, oftentimes in the openings or just quarters in general, you got that one commander. We saw Lou Dort against the Bucks drop 15 and a quarter. Darius Baisley did the same in the last game, dropping like 12 or 14. But you didn't have one. The leading score was six, and it was tied between Ty and Mike Muscala. And that's not really a lot of points, in all fairness. And then for the Nuggets, they didn't really have that same situation. They had Will Barton, who he's been around for a while. He kind of took everybody on his back, had 10 points in the first quarter. But then you just saw a major drop-off. He shot four of five, but... They made 10 overall shots as a team. So you take him off the board. They shot a combined 6 of 15. That's 40%. That's not great when you're taking uh, pretty much everybody into account there. So they were not able to stick around with the Thunder. They were up 30 to 26 through 1. And it was just a major deal of teamwork. So much ball handling came out of this group through the first 12 minutes. They had 9 assists. As for the Nuggets, they only had 4 which is pretty 
insane to think about. So nine out of 10 field goals came assisted. And a lot of those came around the perimeter. So you'd see a lot of dribble drives. And then other times you just see a lot of ball rotation until it got in the right hands. And you would see some cross court passes. That's something that a lot of these guys, as we know, are very, very good at. So you launch one of those off, you get someone kind of getting wobbly feet out there. A lot of rotations take place in the thunder. They were making sure to make every extra pass possible. And when the most ideal shot came up, they were taking it. They weren't hesitating. Nobody was. And that's why they hung around through the first quarter. But moving on into the second quarter, you kind of started to see a bit more competition and a bit more of uh, some faces that popped up, I guess you could say. And this is one where the Nuggets, they kind of took control and they took the same sort of objective as the Thunder, which is really strength in numbers. You're not looking to have one primary guy to center yourself upon. Will Barton did have four points at 14 at the half, but that was not the big deal here. The point spread was beautiful for them. Same deal where two guys had six points and then everybody was kind of just feasting around. They went five of five from three-point land in this quarter. And the big deal was just the fouls. You saw them take 10 free throws, hit seven of them in the frame. And then for the Thunder, they could not get to the line at all. The whistles were not going in their favor. They did have a lot of very good foul calls in terms of charges going their way. But in terms of shooting fouls, there was nothing there. To be fair, a lot of the times they did have space. There was not really uh, any 50-50 call in terms of foul. But, you know, when initiation did take course, there was no whistle that was going off. So they went one of two there. You pick up six points in the free throw category alone and you're not missing from downtown. You don't really need to be going all in on twos. They were kind of working from other areas um, and that's all they needed. So they had 30 points in the frame. For the Thunder, they only had 20, but they did have one guy. They had the Baisley, they had the Dort, they had the Alexei Pokushevsky, and Poku needed to step up. He has not had a major quarter thus far in preseason. A lot of turnovers, a lot of bad shots, and a lot of people not too happy with it. You know, with Poku, some people like to see it as like a light switch. When he's on, he's on, and everybody loves you. However, when he's not making his shots... Nobody is happy with Pokashevsky. He made sure to keep the light on. Everybody was happy. And the BOK Center was just going crazy. I remember hearing, I think it was from a tweet. If not, I heard it in person. But I think it was Joe Musato who said, you know, the BOK crowd was pretty loud. They were vibrant throughout the entire night. And when Poku was just lighting it up from all areas... Everybody was just going all in. There was a lot of highlights to take away from it. In the second quarter, Poku ended up dropping 13 points, played the full 12 minutes, which I love Mark Dagnall keeping him in throughout the entire way. Went five of six there, three of four from downtown and collected three rebounds on the way. So he was a one-man band. And that's all they really needed. So, yeah, it did hurt them in terms of point differential. They needed Poku to get hot, though, and that's exactly what was served up. He was moving around the floor a lot more, 
I guess, consistently and fluidly. Like, there was clearly some confidence in his game for that second quarter. He was not fatigued. He was looking to drive in. He was looking to make the extra pass. But when he was around the perimeter, if he wasn't tightened up, cinched, no gap whatsoever, he was going to be looking to take that shot. And a lot of good closeouts did come his way. However, it really didn't seem to phase him. And he was still on that level. And what you could see with Poku, and we've known this for a while, but, you know, this man has a very unique frame. And it's going to be very difficult to guard him when he gets in that mode. The Nuggets, they were looking to shut him down the entire time. It just could not happen. And I think it's because you really don't have anybody to match up against him. Bull Bull is one of them. There was some really cool plays that I think came out of this second quarter between the two. I might keep that for a little bit later but yeah I mean even on that matchup it didn't really seem to impact his play really at all so they went in at halftime obviously down but they kind of had their heads up there were a lot of good moments that came out of here even though they were losing the contest 56 to 50 there was still that major flash from Poku all 13 of those came in the second quarter by the way it didn't score at all in the first and then you had other guys like Mike Muscala showing up Giddy was looking really everywhere uh, on the scorecard and then for the Nuggets they did have Barton but it was more or less Poku versus Barton in that first half but moving on into the third quarter you started to see a lot more of that back and forth but it started going back into the OKC Thunder's direction and you still had Poku he was a little bit more silent in this quarter I would say because he wasn't playing I think he only played like half of the time there but you were able to look towards some other options Josh Giddy. He just flipped this game upside down in the third quarter. And I don't remember if the play came in the third or which frame, but he had a beautiful dribble pull-up, had a couple extra moves added to it, created enough space for the 21-footer, went in. Obviously, he was attacking the basket at will, shot six times in the third, hit four of them. And then Mike Muscala, he was all inside, wasn't about the three-pointers. Really, the entire way in the third, the Thunder weren't looking to take threes. They only shot seven, but he still went three of five, got six points. And you had Teo, who has had, I'm not going to say consistency issues, but he hasn't played near enough to make a general consensus on him. He got to go out there, really manage the offense a little bit more than usual. Got to play eight minutes, had five points, two assists, and three rebounds in that slate alone, which was major for him. And they trumped them 33-21 to 21 in the frame because you just didn't have that same sort of cohesion with the Denver Nuggets. Same as the first quarter where they got ousted 8-3 to three in the assist column. It was more or less just isolation basketball, whereas for the Thunder, they were making every extra pass they possibly could. So they had their head up high, had the 5-point advantage going on into the fourth quarter, and it made for some very interesting play down the stretch in the fourth quarter you didn't really have the big names yet again it was just the same teamwork makes the dream work motto where you saw those extra passes you saw some very good shots but they just weren't falling on the thunder side one of eight from three eight of 20 from the floor but they were still clinging on to their lead they were not going to give it up to the nuggets without a fight however they just kept clawing back and clawing back And you got to the point to where 
in the final moments of the fourth quarter, it was a straight nail-biter. And I'll say this, it was kind of a nail-biter the entire way. I'd say about the six-minute mark, you started, you know, encroaching on that one-possession territory. The, the, the Thunder are up. You know, you get some very good shots going in. But it's just that back and forth that you really could not break. But I'll say, in the final minute, you know, you end up getting to Ty Jerome. He gets up six with a driving layup. He was beasting in this fourth quarter. But the Nuggets, they had to call a timeout. You had Malone on the sideline. He was getting pretty furious. There were some foul calls that I know he was complaining about. But they go to the huddle, immediately check back in. Nishan Bones Highland. This guy is a deadly shooter. If you guys listen to my draft series, you already know this. I think Nishan is one of the best creators that came out of this draft class. Draws a lot of similarities to Trey Mann, I would say, in terms of how he creates space. But he goes out there and just sticks a three-point shot before you even get into the final ticks. There's a minute eight left, and it's a single possession game yet again. So the Thunder, they're looking to drain the clock. Ty Jerome's the guy who takes a three. He wants to end it. This is one of those plays where it really wasn't a setup. It was just drain the clock out. I'm feeling it. I'm popping the three. No dice on this one. And then it goes back in the Denver Nuggets direction. And then you got Highland again. And you have a deja vu situation from game number one. Aaron Wiggins comes flying in. Gets a crazy block. And then on the other way... You get to see Ty Jerome again, just sit with the basketball, takes another three, no good, and then it goes back in the Nuggets direction. There's 15 seconds left, 102 to 99 for the Thunder. You got Victor Kankar giving it up to Marcus Howard, the Marquette alum. Hadn't really made much noise prior to the fourth, but he just strolls up, takes a pull-up three, Sticks it with four seconds to go. It's a tie ball game. Pretty much crickets just around the BOK center. And you get the timeout. You get back to action. You throw an inbound pass to a cunning Gabrielle deck. And it hits his foot. It rolls out of bounds. And there's another tick left for the Denver Nuggets. And the momentum, it was on the Nuggets side. I will say that. I think for the majority of that fourth quarter, the Nuggets were just pressing on the Thunder's buttons. And it came, you know, it kind of became apparent that the tide shifted with that Marcus Howard three. So they go back out with one second and you really can't rule anything out. You know, you could see this go to the Nuggets, but they have a botched inbound pass, ends up going to overtime, and it makes for some very interesting play. And I was pumped up to see this. You know, it does suck because you want to see the Thunder win um, in regulation, but you get extra minutes there. You know, my spot was good. It was a very good game to be watching. I want to see a little bit more. So you go back in. This is where you see Dagnalt kind of entrust some of the more inexperienced guys, I guess you could say. Gabrielle Deck was there. DJ Wilson was there. You gave Wiggins, Jerome, and Poku the nod. So those three, maybe not as much as the other two. But they were just looking to the bottom of the bench. And for the Nuggets, more or less was the same. You had Bull Bull and Zeke. Uh, those were the two mains. And then you had Highland, Kankar, and Marcus Howard, who was just on fire from that fourth quarter. And then, obviously, going into overtime, he had that kind of chip on his shoulder. think it's worth mentioning first, though, that in the fourth, he had 11 points, shot 11 times. So he was the main source of the offense. But you go back out there for overtime, 
and they get an immediate basket. Gabrielle Deck, just a simple layup. Ty Jerome makes a beautiful assist there. And then it's just time getting drained, time getting drained. Marcus Howard hits a three. And this is a play that, you know, I probably wouldn't have caught this, but sitting down and seeing it, this was a play. It's a left wing triple, I believe. Half court offense, Bones Highland was looking to, you know, kind of operate, make some play. Nothing was there. He drives in. DJ Wilson steps in maybe a stride two inside. Like, it's not that tiny. Uh, when you look at it, but when you see it on the court and you see the end result, DJ Wilson was not able to close out in time. That was able to lead to the Nuggets getting their lead back, and Poku had a turnover on the other end, gave them momentum. Howard hits another three-point shot. This one's from 28 feet out, and now it's a four-point lead for the Nuggets. So, you know, you get Marcus Howard, who up until this game was relatively unknown. If you weren't just searching through college databases or maybe even NBA ones, you wouldn't know Marcus Howard was there, but he showed up and he was just the unsung hero for the Denver Nuggets. And for the Thunder, they just kept trying with shots. He had Ty Jerome taking finger rolls, had a lot of turnovers, one of which came off of DJ Wilson. It hit his foot when he made a pretty damn good post spin. But just too many turnovers, too many cough-ups, and it led to just the Nuggets being able to sit on the basketball, give it to Marcus Howard every once in a while, and they they were doing solid. Um, but you had one big push from the Thunder left. Poku, he was taking shots. I mean, he was the guy in regulation. They were not trying to take that away from him. He was bricking three-pointers. He was at the top of the key. He wasn't looking to make passes. He was looking to get shots on his own, and he hit one with 48 seconds to go, made it 108 to 107, and then you get Marcus Howard again. 30 seconds left, really just the same gig. Step back, bank shot. That's pretty much all she wrote. Four-point advantage for the Nuggets. The Thunder, they go out there. There's a lot of offensive rebounds. Kind of just one of those mad dashes for the basketball. Um, and no one made a shot. So final buzzer sounds. You get the Nuggets going out there. There was a foul that came into play. But they win this one 113-107. to And there were a lot of fireworks here. But before I go into all those pretty big moments, I want to let you guys know a little bit about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. Here's what you have to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. 
See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, or if in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. But guys, just moving along into this game, this was a wild one. Everyone that I was around was just shocked. You know, the end result of Marcus Howard being the legend. And there's always those preseason heroes. Marcus Howard, he's proven himself. He's been a very good scorer. Um, But I think this was kind of his coming out party of sorts, you know, because of uh, the previous situations he was in. Probably going to be one of those guys that if he makes the team is making maybe futile minutes off the bench, but he let them know that if you give him a lot of time, you give him the room, he can get hot, and he can, you know, put this game away. He really had to do that. He was the only real scoring option to close out the game. He had 31 points in 31 minutes, shot 11 of 22, and shot 9 of 17. He looked possessed when he was out there. He did not look like Marcus Howard. He looked like James Harden. looked like Steph Curry. You know, you knew when he was taking a three-pointer, it was going to go in. And for the Thunder, I would say you actually felt that for the majority of the game. But it kind of started to veer off in the final minutes and really the overtime possession, I would say. Because Poku, he was the main source. But I'm giving him a rain check. He had a very impressive game. The one thing you got to remember, though, is this is a 19-year-old I think he clocks in at like 190. I'm not sure what the new uh, roster says, but he, for his frame, is pretty small. Fatigue has got to be an issue, and he's out there for like 37 minutes in the game. Him taking those three-point shots, he was probably already completely exhausted. So him missing those down the stretch was not a big deal. He had that big one to where they almost got back into the game. Um, But wow, like... He was there. He had a very good performance. It was just a matter of, you know, one team getting super hot, one guy taking the reins of like a star, and then for the Thunder, no one was really there. I think when you chalk it up to why the Thunder were not able to convert in this game, you don't really like putting um, people to blame. You know, I heard Gabriel Deck is one tossed out there. He did have a decent amount of turnovers to close this game out, but DJ Wilson in the overtime frame. It's one of those situations where I can't really blame him, and we have seen this time and time again. This is kind of the Deontay Burton deal. You saw it with Rob Edwards. Now, he had a very good game. He had six points in like four minutes, had two threes go in in 50 seconds, right? And he got waived the next day. This is kind of that mentality where you're going in there, and you're looking to get your own. You need to make highlights for yourself. And when you're only going in there, maybe two out of the four or five games available for five minutes, you need to hit some major shots. And DJ, he got in at the perfect time. This is in the clutch. This is, you know, neck and neck the entire way. If you can break out in the closing minutes, look like an absolute sniper, which the Thunder do need at the five, maybe, just maybe, you strengthen your odds of making the Thunder's team or another G League team on maybe a more favorable contract. But he goes out there, he has this like post-turnaround shot where it just kind of broke the mold and I'd say like the gentleman's agreement that we saw the entire way. The Thunder, they were passing at every moment's glance. They finished the game with 29 assists. I would assume that's the highest they've had 
in preseason. The Nuggets only had 18, um, just for another perspective on things. But they were passing at every moment's glance. You didn't see someone get the basketball and settle for more than like three seconds. If three seconds passed by, it was like hot potato. You pass it back out to the perimeter, set a screen, drive back out, cross-court pass, just refresh over and over. But DJ gets it. He's looking to take this post-up shot. Takes it, doesn't go in. You have that one play in the post where, you know, I would probably argue in that situation, you're down four points. You might want to kick it back out, go for a three. He actually made a very strong move to get inside, though. Just was not able to capitalize on the wide open shot. And then obviously, that one little play on defense where he did not close out on Marcus Howard. Now, let's be honest here. You could probably triple team Marcus Howard in that situation. He was not missing. He, you know, he had 31 points and he started out as like one of the final guys on the the roster, on the depth chart here. And this is a final preseason game. So he was locked in and it was not terrible in terms of defense. But I do think that stretch of two, three plays really did just give them all the momentum and put the Thunder in a spot where they just couldn't climb back up that mountain. And that's why they lost. But there's still a lot of good things to take away from this. Alexei Pokashevsky's number one. 9 of 16 overall, 4 of 9 from 3, had 8 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal to get his 22 points, Um, and you look at it, this dude was just a highlight reel, you're checking out the season highlights, you're checking the G League highlights from Poku, they often come in bunches, this was one of those games, I think when you check the Alexei Pokashevsky tape, you're going to see the BOK logo just plastered in a lot of different spots on the internet because he was making street ball moves like it was nothing. It didn't matter if he was driving right inside, you know, moving around, dribble handoff to an immediate three-point shot. He was taking them. He was making them. He looked unfazed. And then the biggest play, and I'm going to try to break this down as easy as possible because I was sitting at a spot to where uh, you had Mike Malone literally in front of me. I couldn't see the play because the corner was getting blocked a bit. But he gets out to the right corner, gives like a behind-the-back dish to Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who is like two feet away. It's like nothing, pretty much a handoff. But he does that, and he immediately just darts right inside to the basket, gets the pass in from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And this is something that Earl needs to be credited for as well. This was a beautiful pass. This is why the Thunder potentially want to play him at the five, because he can make some very impressive passes. But he just knifes a bounce pass into the teeth of the defense, right to the paint where Poku, he darted off. His man forgot he was even there. He has two steps on him, makes a beautiful reverse layup, just like a flip shot almost. Didn't even think about it. This was an impressive play. This was like a star play. This is something where, you know, you think of all these moments that have just accumulated over Poku's one year in the NBA. You know, the 29-point game against the Clippers, the 25-point game against the Suns, uh, just everything. You just think about that and you think, wow, if he really gets this together and is able to put this up consistently, the NBA is going to have a problem because he's seven feet tall. You know, his playmaking ability, yeah, he can have those pretty ugly turnovers, but when he is in, he'll be able to drive inside. He can hopefully take contact if he bulks up and you know when he's lasering off behind the back passes in succession driving inside making plays for himself it's wild and it wasn't the first time he cut in you know he was looking to cut in actively throughout the night 
but passing-wise was his biggest strong suit. Only had three assists in the game, but let me tell you, when we're talking in the grand scheme of things where they had 29 total team assists, I'd say he had those three straight-up assists, but the pass to assists, I mean, he must have been big time on that board because he was throwing off cross-court overhead passes, one-arm passes where he's just straight up slinging it. Looks like he's making the letter C on top of his head. Like those kinds of just straight weird passes where 99% of people, they're not going to be able to do that on a consistent basis. For Poku, you know, when he's feeling it, he's going to make it every time. And when he's seven feet tall, you know, he's a much better vantage point than everybody else on the floor. And when he's able to make those major, major strides, like you know, almost like a Giannis where he can take a dunk or, you know, he can get right inside the paint with just two steps. That's what Poku was doing sometimes when he was driving inside and creating some other opportunities for people. But moving beyond him, I mean, there was even more passing to go around. I'd say Josh Giddy was probably the most decorated passer. He ended up finishing this game almost with a triple-double, and that's happened multiple times, but this is the closest one. Had 13 points on 6 of 13 shooting, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists. And let me tell you, he is serious. I mean, when you are talking about the best passers in this draft class, his name is right atop the list. And you might say it's a preseason fluke. There's no way. For the passes he's been making, it's not a preseason fluke. I mean, he can make a whole mixtape out of some of the passes he's made. And you could probably do it with the ones he made at the BOK Center. There was a first quarter kind of inbound pass. And this is one of the moments that I probably wouldn't have captured. Um, But he's just throwing like, you know, an overhead inbound pass, nothing crazy. Um, But, or actually, you know what? No, no, no. It was almost a sidearm. That's what it was. It was a sidearm inbound pass right under the basketball, uh, under the goal. And he throws it opposite end of the court to the left wing. He tightens this. It's got to be like a six inch gap, maybe even smaller than this barely like slings it above this man's fingertips, gets right to the mark and creates another play. And I don't think it immediately, you know, led to a wide open shot or anything. I think it went to Trey Mann and they went back into the half court, but he throws that off. Who even has the courage to throw that number one? Uh, but how do you see that pass? I would not be looking at a guy who is clearly covered on the opposite wing. This dude should have been looking at the right corner, maybe looking under the rim uh, for someone to pass it to. But no, I mean, he just throws this nonchalantly. And that's just kind of the name of the game with Josh Giddy. He just makes these insanely difficult passes look like a breeze. And he's only 19. He turned 19 this week, as a matter of fact. So he is the second youngest dude in the NBA. Got to be one of the top 50 passers right now. And he's only going to continue to grow. And one of the things that I loved about this game, not only we saw Poku throw those passes, we saw Giddy throw those wacky passes. We got to see Giddy just completely running the offense. Normally it's been that split where it's been SGA. And in the second half, you do get to see Giddy be that primary aficionado. But you get SGA completely out of it. You get 28 minutes of pure Josh Giddy. Your secondary option is a Trey man. Teo or Ty, but they're not comparing to SGA. He was the number one guy from the get-go, and it led to a lot of beautiful opportunities. We saw him get the basketball top of the key, start driving inside, then he throws off the jump pass overhead pass 
to the corner, did it multiple times. And then you start rocking and rolling to where he's going back outside. He's making the extra passes again, but then he's still slashing inside for shots. I mean, he had that very plentiful, you know, portion of points in the third at eight off of just straight slashes. And then he was taking the threes. I mean, he, he went one of four here. That's not the same clip we've seen in the past three games, but he still looked fluid in his shot. He was willing to take these jumpers. And then you had the pull-up mid-range off of just a dribble. You know, this is a fast break. He's doing behind the backs, going right into the shot. You know, who would have thought that off the scouting report? One thing Josh Giddy could do this, but he does it. He does it consistently. And then you bring him up, you know, as the ball handler, a lot of just dribble handoffs going straight to him. You know, he'd throw it to like a wing, for instance. Let's say he throws it to the right wing. Immediately, he's wrapping over to the right uh right wing again gets the dribble handoff and then he's looking to slash inside kick to the corner kick it across the floor he knows where all 10 people are obviously including himself he scans the entire court uh, at a very high rate and and you got to see that at a major scale when you're at the game you know you're seeing some wild stuff that you probably couldn't see in the view of the camera so Josh Giddy, he made a major impression in this game and then going beyond that you had some other guys who are great Ty Jerome he had just the same game we're kind of accustomed to you know he's not really someone who pops out and turns into the star but he's going to show up in the scorecard about every time and you get it through those just rapid succession threes and he'll get them in quick bunches he'll pack like nine points in a matter of two minutes and he was able to do that primarily in that second half he had 16 points in this game, had seven assists, which is only topped by Josh Giddy's eight. He just looks so cool when it comes to operating, and he does it as a guy who can come in, get your buckets as a catch-and-shoot player, but you also put him up top, he's able to read the court as well, and he's able to make those extra passes that lead to those buckets, and he does it at the three, but he can also throw in to some baseline cutters, really at relative ease, so... I think he really secured himself some minutes. There's this major battle going on um, because you do have Giddy, you do have SGA, you have Teo, you have um, Ty, like I said, and then Trey Mann. You got to keep him on the floor. You know, originally this was the guy being ousted and he is a very good player, but you know, you got to look at potential sometimes. Ty's going to be a very good backup point guard. So I feel like he does kind of have minutes just tied to him now, um, not just because of this game, but just overall. The other guy, Teo Maladone, he was also very impressive too. He had 11 points in 24 minutes, had seven rebounds and four assists, had five fouls. That was a major blemish that I found from his game. But just like Ty, he kind of was in that backseat role for most of the time as a playmaker where, you know, he'd dish it out when it got to him on the perimeter. He wasn't driving in all that often, but he would get his floaters in and he would throw a couple of occasional passes off those drives. So I was relatively happy with him. Trey Mann, now he got injured early in this game. I feel like seeing him in fourth quarter and overtime minutes would have been huge. Uh, maybe trying to counter a guy like Marcus Howard, who really was just about taking those threes. Trey Mann, that's where he is infectious. That's where he lives and dies. That's why he got drafted in the first round. It's because he can turn into an elite shot creator out of nowhere. We weren't able to see that because he was only held to 13 minutes. Shot one of five. But 
that one shot that did go in was that first quarter step back three and he is just such a shifty ball handler you know you'd get those moves where the crowd would be in awe because he is able to kind of freeze up his defender and then pick and choose if he wants to take a shot which is going to be open or drive in after you know the guy recovers but obviously you know he's not ready to take a full speed ahead Trey man so I thought that he was good even though his time was limited that's all I really needed to see from him just making sure that three-point shot is serious you had Mark Dagnall pull him to the side a couple times Uh, I I didn't really catch what it was and I wouldn't I don't know I don't know what Mark said to him but he was kind of just giving him some pointers throughout the game. That was really the only guy that I distinctly remember getting those types of pointers to where it's like just that one liner, like, hey, you got to do this better. Couldn't really pinpoint it though. So I'd say maybe from those practices, what we've heard is sometimes the shot selection. I don't think his shot selection was that bad in this one though. So I'm not too sure. Aaron Wiggins had some very good shot selection too. He was kind of the guy who would take those catch and shoot threes after the hot potato was over with. He shot seven threes, only two went in, finished the game with eight points, two assists, two rebounds, two steals, and two blocks. So he's kind of like the jack of all trades. He is someone who deserves a standard NBA contract. And I think we know that, like we've known that with a lot of the guys we have on these two-way deals, but it's just such a good deal to hold on to. Maybe wait until the trade deadline or another roster move happens when you have that extra vacancy, and then you're going to move him up. But you get 50 games with him and unlimited practice time with the Thunder. So he pretty much will operate as one of the guys in the top 15 anyways, but he just had a very, very decorated game. And it's been that way from the jump for his preseason. Poku was the main guy off the bench, already kind of hit home on him. Gabrielle Deck snuck in with a near double-double, 9 points and 11 rebounds in 24 minutes, and I didn't even really see him uh, all that often going off. It was just like Ty where he just, you look at that final box score and you're like, what? This dude had 11 rebounds? He was just getting dirty with it, and you know, he was also helping out when it came to kicking the basketball around. I will say the pace did show up, especially late into this ball game with that turnover. He ended up only finishing with two turnovers, so it wasn't terrible for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, could have been a bit better, I would say. I did like seeing him with all those rebounds, though. Led the team there. Giddy was the second highest with nine. Isaiah got a little bit of run. I think he got pulled after an injury, just like Trey Mann did. You saw a bit of Paul Watson went 0 of 2 from 3, so not much there. He was kind of just that corner sitter. DJ Wilson kind of talked about him a bit. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl went 1 of 5, 4 points, 2 rebounds, and 2 assists. But you got to keep in mind, that 1 assist was so, so impressive. And we didn't really get to see JRE playing those major 5 minutes like we've become accustomed to. I think that would have been a good test for him, seeing him taking those perimeter shots again, where, you know, maybe in the last couple ones, he's dropped down a bit in terms of percentage. But this was a crazy game, just the whole experience was... You know, you go down there, you sit uh, at the game, you know, the BOK and the Thunder, they treat you extremely, extremely well. You have like catering that you can go to. Uh, In addition to like some seats, you know, you can type up your notes, you can do whatever you need to do. And then there's obviously the interview at the end. But yeah, very, very fun experience for me. Um, And it was a very, very fun game to watch. The Poku versus Marcus Howard showdown. Another guy who showed up was Bull Bull. He had 12 points and 12 rebounds, shooting 4 of 8. 
And that matchup on its own was just, it was fun. I mean, you look at Poku and you look at the numbers. He's seven feet tall, seven foot three wingspan. He's next to Bol Bol. And, you know, Bol Bol's taller. He's seven foot two. I'm not sure about the wingspan, but man, you just have those like two towers out there and then you have everybody else. Uh, and that matchup was just so cool because Bol Bol is probably the um, most similar player you can find in the NBA to Alexei Pokushevsky. And Poku, he's a little bit more lean, a little bit smaller, which means, you know, he's a little bit more fluid in terms of handling ability. I would say for Bol Bol, uh, his motion when it comes to shots are more like straight up catapults, right? With Poku, more of that just get right into it. He has a very nice jumper. Bol Bol's is all right, but it kind of has some hitches to it. Uh, he was still successful though. Like just like Poku, it's hard to cont- uh, contest a guy like that. So he went off to get that double double. But there was a moment where Poku was going off. He was hitting any shot that he wanted to, and he took another three. Like there was, I think, a play before this. He took a three after a foul goes in. This is a right wing three, and then you have this foul call, and he's at the left wing with the basketball. He takes it. Bull Bull stuffs him while he's just standing. And then they talk a little bit. It wasn't anything to the point where, like, you know, they're actually jawing and the refs need to get involved. But just that little chit chat was really cool to see um, right there. Obviously, Poku, you know, he was just explosive throughout the game. He wasn't really talking all that much, but, you know, you could tell the intensity was there the entire way. Ty Jerome, he was kind of that main leader. And I think I've seen it before where people comment on Ty's like leadership and like how vocal he is. He was the most vocal guy on the court the entire game, you know, maybe even talking more than the coaches at some points, just telling people where to go. You have Mark Dagnall calling out certain plays and he's the first one back down, just yelling, Hey, this is what play we're doing. Get over to that spot. Get over to that spot. A lot of activity from him, and you need those types of voices, especially when you have a lot of young guys. And Ty Jerome's a young guy. He's only 24, but he played a full four years of college, kind of climbed up the ranks in doing so, and he just seems like a seasoned vet when he's out there. So he was a very positive influence, not just in terms of his scoring, but just the leadership that he provided. And then you also had kind of some other plays where there was, I don't remember the quarter, but... There was this time where Bol Bol was at the free throw line and Josh Giddy, he's the guy where, you know, you have two and three set up uh, for the free throws. And he was that guy sticking out the odd number there on the three. And Mark Dagnall wanted him to go box out on Bol Bol. So he's yelling over to him. He's like calling him over. He's telling him what's up. And then, you know, that's the first free throw, right? Hits the first one. And then you get Mark yelling at him again, just making sure that he knows you know, he does exactly what coach tells him to do. He boxes out Bull Bull. Really no pressure at all applied because it, it went right in. Um, but I just thought it was cool that, you know, they're trying to make this a learning experience, even if it was the fourth preseason game. And you'd think a tiny thing like that, you know, they would already be honed in on. But it's good to see those refer- uh, refreshers. And it's good to see that, you know, Mark is still trying to make this a learning experience. And I'm assuming it's going to be that way the entire 82 game regular season where there's just constant learning abilities uh, given to everybody and everyone's able to benefit uh, potential wise and just grow as prospects. But yeah, I mean, that was the main stuff that I really took away from it. There were those play calls and, you know, I did, I kind of caught wind of which plays they were calling, you know, what times they were, but 
I'm not really going to go into details on all those, but there were a lot of cool plays where you'd see a lot of action, setting some pin down screens, get people open at the wings. There's a lot of backdoor cuts that you'd find off of them too. And just the activity there made them a very, very fun team. And, you know, this is one where everyone was ranking them the worst team in the NBA, the most boring team. You get this one or really two games of just preseason glory, and people are probably going to want to watch them at some capacity this season. If they're not going to find them on NBA TV, they're going to find them on Twitter. They're going to be looking at the highlights because there are so many unique playmakers and you didn't even get to see all of them in this game. You didn't see SGA. You didn't see Bays. You didn't see Vit Crenshaw, who hasn't been around this entire time. Gabrielle Deck wasn't really in the fold that much. There's a lot of different people who can just kill you and there's going to be someone every game, I feel like, where we're talking about them and saying, oh my goodness, I did not expect to see that. And I think that's just kind of the beauty that you're going to find with this team throughout the year. So right now, they're going to need to make a couple of roster cuts. We'll see what the final 15 man looks like. I don't think there's going to be that many surprises. Big one you got to monitor is if it's Gabrielle Deck or Mamadi Daikite for number 15. Daikite's uh, dealing with an injury right now, so that might have some sort of impact on it. We will find out at a later date, though. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap it up. That's going to wrap up the preseason for the Thunder. We got Thunder action starting next week. It's going to be very fun. Going to hear a lot from me. Thank you all for all the support lately. Really appreciate it. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.